Good afternoon and welcome to Forest Fires. My name is John Clark. Starting over is hard. That much I can personally attest to. But harder than starting over is leaving parts of your past behind you. If we were somehow able to start each day with a clean slate, without the memories of our past relationships, our past experiences, or even our past failures, starting over would be easy. But it's not easy, and none of us have the luxury of daily amnesia. For those of us in recovery, we are told that to get sober and to maintain a lasting recovery, we must change the people, places, and playgrounds of our addictive past. It's a mantra that has endured the ages because it's generally true, but it's also broad and overly simplistic. It's very easy for someone to tell you that you have to let go of parts of your past, but doing so is anything but easy. For many of us in recovery, especially those in early recovery, starting over and letting go of parts of our past can seem almost impossible. When we first begin the recovery journey, there are so many things that we need to change that we can easily get overwhelmed by the mountain that's in front of us. We are working on our physical health, our emotional health, and our spiritual health all at the same time. We are working to improve our personal relationships, our family situations, and even our work. And at that same time, many of us are facing financial and legal issues. How can we possibly make all of the changes that need to be made and stay sober? Where do we even start? How can we possibly handle everything that's in front of us? Regardless of how many days or years I've been sober, I still get overwhelmed by the tasks, duties, and responsibilities that lie ahead of me. Still to this day, when I focus too much upon the future, I want to shut down. I want to sit still and hide my head in the sand. But for those of us in recovery, we're not allowed to stand still. This disease will prey upon our procrastination. And because of that, we must be always diligent and always moving forward. When I get overwhelmed, I'm reminded of an old timer that once asked me how I would go about eating an elephant. Of course, the answer to that is one bite at a time, and that's exactly how we face the often daunting tasks that face us in our recovery. One bite at a time, one next right decision at a time. Rationally, this mindset makes sense, but our emotions, feelings, and frustrations are rarely rational, and thus, it's not as easy as repeating a mantra, regardless of how much you may believe in it. Without using a catchy line like eating an elephant one bite at a time, how can we move forward? How can we face all the changes that need to be made, especially when parts of our past are constantly thrown in our face? To be successful, we must make small steps every single day. Regardless of how small the steps, we must keep making them, and we must realize that each step is progress. The Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous says that the disease of addiction is cunning and baffling. After working this program for a few years, I would add that beyond cunning and baffling, this disease is manipulative and devious. The disease doesn't just use our physical cravings or our personal memories to tempt us. It uses the people, places, and things that surround us to try and pull us back into our addictive lifestyle. 
Often, we find ourselves working our program, making slow and steady progress, when out of nowhere something happens to remind us of our past, and that memory has the potential to rob us of the progress that we are making. Every single person that walks into a 12-step room or begins the long journey to recovery carries with them the baggage from their past. Much of this baggage is painful and unpleasant. It makes perfectly good sense that we would want to ignore it to pretend that it doesn't exist. But history has shown us that we cannot be willfully ignorant of our own baggage. What I have come to learn is that many of us aren't fully aware of just how much baggage that we've been carrying with us. This type of willful ignorance is dangerous and destructive. One thing that is certain is that before we can begin to move forward, we must become willing to acknowledge the past and to leave it there. How can we do that, though? Whether you want to admit it or not, parts of your addictive past have defined who and what you are. It has crafted a personal view of yourself that's difficult to set aside. Who are you if you aren't the life of the party? Who are you if you aren't the big drinker? For many of us, our addictive behaviors have become so ingrained into who and what we believe that we are that it's unimaginable to set it aside. Beyond this, many of the things that we do or say in active addiction are regrettable, and we've allowed those regrets to craft an inaccurate perspective of ourselves. Many of us have lied, cheated, stolen, and we've hurt other people. Even in the throes of our active addiction, though, we feel shame, guilt, and personal regret. Simply removing the drugs or alcohol from our life doesn't cure this, though. In fact, these feelings of shame and guilt are often magnified when we remove the substances from our lives. Why? Because we've lost our coping mechanism. How could we have done those things? How could we have hurt those people that we claim to love? What is wrong with us that made us capable of doing this? One of the toughest obstacles that any of us face in recovery is acknowledging the things that we've done and then learning to forgive ourselves. One thing that many of us find is that it is far easier to forgive others than it is to forgive ourselves. The big book says that resentments are the number one offender and that unhandled, unprocessed, and undealt with resentments will lead you to a relapse. Mind you, it says will, not might, not could, but will. I have seen more than sufficient evidence to know that this is true. Remember, though, a resentment is simply an unprocessed anger that has grown into a seething infection. A resentment is an internal feeling that we direct externally against a person, place, or thing. Shame, on the other hand, is an internal feeling that we direct toward ourselves. Shame, like resentment, is an infection that can overtake everything good in our life. Shame is therefore an internal resentment, a resentment against yourself. When I've helped people work through their fourth steps, I've always told them that I don't know exactly who they should include in their resentment list, but I know one person that should always be on everyone's resentment list. You. Every one of us on some level has at some point carried regret for our past actions. It is natural. It is human. And honestly, if you don't have some regrets, you might have some sociopathic tendencies. Holding on to regret becomes toxic, though, and when regret grows into shame, that's when we begin to have problems. Shame is cancerous, and it will spread. 
Shame can take away hope as easily as any substance that's ever been created, and shame will kill. At the core, shame is the reason that we struggle to forgive ourselves. Holding on to shame is not an act of humility. Likewise, learning to forgive yourself is not an act of arrogance or a refusal to take responsibility for your actions. In fact, it is only after we can fully accept our actions and take responsibility for them that we can ever hope to forgive ourselves and move forward. When I learn of a relapse, my first question is always, what internal and private shame has this person not yet dealt with? The inability to forgive oneself has led countless alcoholics and addicts to a relapse and sadly has led others to an early grave. When we cannot forgive ourselves, we are holding on to the events and issues of the past, but we aren't changing them. We are simply replaying those experiences over and over again. Each time that we replay those painful experiences, we are hurting ourselves anew. This type of behavior keeps us stuck in a self-destructive cycle, and it holds us back from making any real or sustainable progress. I recall in my early recovery being told that to move forward, I had to leave the past behind. Honestly, though, I didn't want to leave parts of my past behind. I didn't like the pain of my disease, but there were parts of my life I did like, or at least I thought I did. There were things I didn't want to leave behind, particularly there were relationships I didn't want to walk away from. Whenever I would ask for guidance or insight, the old-timers would reiterate the mantra that I needed to change my playmates, my playthings, and my playgrounds. Honestly, this didn't help because they didn't explain to me why I needed to do this or how I could go about doing it. As I've said in my prior podcast, and I'll repeat here, there is no one-size-fits-all recovery. For the millions of people that have walked into the 12-step fellowships around the world, there are that many different recovery journeys. The 12 steps are a guide, not a Bible. And because of that, there are no universal right answers. As far as I've learned, there's only one universal wrong answer, and that's using or drinking again. The problem, of course, is that each and every one of us is an individual, and that individuality separates us, yet it unites us at the same time. Each of us has to figure out the best approach to living our life in recovery. We have sponsors and recovery peers that can help us, but at the end of the day, the decisions are ours and ours alone. Perhaps a better way of saying that we need to change our playmates, playthings, and playgrounds is to say that we need to redefine these things, or better yet, we need to change the nature of our relationships rather than simply removing all of them. One of the things that we consistently tell newcomers is that they have to learn how to maintain and establish healthy boundaries. Personally, I hate the word boundary. Every time someone brings it up in conversation, I hear nails on a chalkboard, and it makes me wince, especially if they're talking about my boundaries. Why does it bother me so much? Well, because I've struggled with boundaries my entire life, and the struggle hasn't necessarily lessened since I got sober. I'm a people pleaser by nature, and setting boundaries is against my grain. I was always afraid that if I told someone no, I would give them the excuse that they needed to walk away from me forever. Playing into this, of course, is a deeply ingrained fear of abandonment. Many of you that are listening have struggled with similar feelings related to your boundaries. When you are told to set boundaries in certain relationships and to even walk away from others, 
the thought of doing so can be terrifying. Ending relationships, even bad relationships, is hard. If a person has been a part of your life for a while, they've made an impact. Parts of them have rubbed off on you and vice versa. Now, that doesn't mean that you want to keep them around necessarily. But what it does mean is that you're going to have to grieve the passing or the changing of that relationship. At the very least, few of us are excited to end relationships. Prior to my current relationship and engagement, I went through a number of breakups. Now, don't get me wrong, most of them weren't nasty or hateful, but it didn't make the action of breaking up any easier. I hated the concept of telling someone that we needed to stop seeing each other. I knew that it was for the best, but it wasn't much fun. Anyone that enjoys ending a relationship with another person probably has issues that far exceed anything that we can cover in this podcast. What we have to understand is that boundaries and or separation doesn't have to be absolute, and it doesn't have to be forever in every case. As you walk this recovery path, who and what you are will change over time. And as a result, the people, places, and things that you have in or around your life, they will likewise change. One of my oldest friends owns several bars and still works as a bartender from time to time. Before I got sober, we would often hang out together at his bars and we would laugh and share our stories. He was not and is not an alcoholic as far as I know. And I've only seen him intoxicated a handful of times in our 25-plus year friendship. Nonetheless, I am an alcoholic. And invariably, when I would hang out with him at his bar, I ended up drunk. In my early recovery, I realized that hanging out with him at his bar wasn't good for my recovery. So I had to set a boundary. For almost two years in my recovery, I only talked with my friend via phone. It wasn't ideal, and I'm not sure if he completely understood why. But regardless of that, he was supportive. Today, at almost six years sober, I can occasionally meet with him in his restaurants and bars. Now, that doesn't mean that I belly up to the bar, though. That's still difficult for me, and it may always be. Even though my boundary has changed and adapted, I still must have a boundary. It's just different than it used to be. My point in saying all of this is to say that we change, we adapt, and we grow in our recovery. And because of that, the boundaries that we set will likewise grow and change. If you're an addict or an alcoholic, some of your oldest friends will inevitably be people that you used to drink, drug, and party with. Some may be co-workers or even family members. You must ask yourself, does this association, as it exists now, threaten my sobriety? If the answer to that is yes, then it's up to you to set and maintain a healthy boundary. As I said earlier, This is never easy. Often, I'm asked by my patients how they are supposed to handle family gatherings such as Christmas or Thanksgiving. Now, this was an easy one for me because my family never drank at holidays, but I know that many of your families do. Making this more difficult is that many of your friends, family, and acquaintances may not understand why you have to set these boundaries or why you can't have just one or two drinks. You may hear all kinds of passive-aggressive comments. Some of your hard-partying friends may invite you out with them anyway, and they may tell you that you can be the designated driver. This is dangerous for a number of reasons. I can only watch my friends do something for so long before I start feeling left out. Now, that's not to say that you are weak or that you'll always give in. But you have to remember that your early sobriety is like an infant. 
it is susceptible to all kinds of dangers that an older child or an adult isn't susceptible to. Your sobriety is yours and yours alone, and it's up to you to protect and nurture it. In my early recovery, I had no idea who I wanted to be or what I wanted my life to look like. But after a while, I did know what I didn't want. I didn't want hangovers or dope sick or jail. I didn't want to feel like that anymore, and I didn't want to see the look of sadness and disappointment in my children's eyes. Perhaps some of you are the same way. Instead of frustrating yourself focusing on what you want, focus your attention on what you don't want. Every single recovery starts with a single decision. Just don't use right now. Stop worrying about tomorrow or next week and instead focus on right now. When I choose not to use right now, I'm using my energy to not be what I used to be. If we keep making this decision long enough, eventually we find ourselves becoming what we do want. It's often been said that the 12-step program is a simple program for complicated people. Don't make it any more complicated than it has to be. Make the next right decision and get out of your own damn way. You may be surprised at the life that's waiting for you. Thank you for tuning in to Forest Fires. If you would like to support the Forest Fires journey, there's a link in the podcast information to do so. As many of you know, I started this podcast with a singular intention, to share a message of hope and redemption with as many people as possible. Your support, in whatever form, helps us to make that intention a reality. Continue to reach out and help each other. Lift up another alcoholic or addict and continue sharing the light of hope for those that still struggle in the darkness. And as always, stay reachable, stay teachable, and stay humble. Thank you.